Father, we thank you for the victory that has been won through your son, Jesus Christ, through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. He has accomplished for us what we could never have hoped to accomplish for ourselves. He made possible for us what sin had made impossible. And God, we praise you that even as we had turned from you, even as we rejected you, even as we ran from you, in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, you pursued us at the greatest possible cost to yourself. You gave us everything you could have given us when you gave us Jesus. And Father, many of us come in here today not feeling victory, but feeling defeat. Father, defeat from our sin, defeat from broken relationships, defeat from illness, defeat from the brokenness of this world. So we thank you for the victory that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. It is his righteousness and his alone that we claim today. Nothing in and of ourselves that we could ever have hoped to give. You've given us all in Jesus. So Father, it's our desire as we open your word this morning, show us your son, Jesus. Show us once again his love. Show us once again the good news of the gospel. We submit ourselves to the authority of your word. We trust that it is good, that it is right, that it is true, that it is the ultimate authority in our lives. We submit ourselves to this authority now. So Father, will you speak to us today a word that will edify your church and glorify your name. Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth and we place ourselves under it now. We ask all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, as you find your seats this morning, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bible, Acts chapter 17 is where we'll be this morning looking together at verses 10 through 15. This is the passage Matt read for us just a few moments ago. If you're our guest, my name's Taylor Burgess. I serve here at Cross as lead pastor, and we're honored to have you worshiping here with us this morning. And what our church family has been doing since the beginning of the summer is walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters five through seven, uh, which is what we plan to be doing through the end of this year. But we have taken a brief pause um, for just a couple of weeks. This time of the year in our community tends to mark a season of big transition. It's the military PCS season. Uh, I think post Labor Day, we've all finally waved the white flag on summer. It's sort of passed. Um, the addition of pumpkin spice to everything and Appalachian State beating Power Five opponents lets me know the fall is here. And, uh, and so we are going to take a quick break for just a couple of weeks. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter two as we gathered for a week at the Tabby Place. And then today, looking at Acts 17, we're going to pick back up in the Sermon on the Mount next week. Six years ago, we were counting down the days uh, to our first public worship gathering as a church. I love this time of the year because I'll have social media memories that pop up to remind me of these things. And I had one from a few days ago that reminded me of a day that we were uh, meeting at Buford High School. It was myself, uh, Grayson Johnson, our worship pastor, Leandra Livesey, who was initially serving us as our kids ministry director, and she's serving us in a different role now. And we were walking through the high school and kind of staging out, how are we gonna do this whole portable church thing? And I had just a few moments 
where I was by myself in the small auditorium of Buford High School and, and just kind of walking through that opportunity, spent a, a few moments with the Lord there just in prayer. And I, I remember praying six years ago, just this very, very simple prayer to the Lord. Went to the Lord and I said, Lord, I hope your word is enough to build this church because this is all I have. I went to the Lord and I said, either your word is enough to build this church or it's not. Either the preaching of the gospel is going to be enough to build this church or it's not. I hope your word is all that I need because your word is the only thing that I have. And church, you know, we rejoice, we praise God because six years later, the testimony of Cross Community Church is very, very simple. The word of God has been enough. The word of God has been sufficient and remains sufficient for Jesus Christ to continue building his church in Beaufort, South Carolina. So, you know, if there's one thing, if you're new with us, that I would really want you to know about Cross Community Church is this. We have like a ridiculous amount of confidence in the Bible. We, we have a, a ridiculous amount of confidence in the sufficiency of the word of God for the building of his church. To quote the great hymn, we truly, really do believe that Jesus Christ in his word is the solid rock on which we stand. We really do actually legitimately, literally believe that to try to build the church on anything else really is ground of sinking sand. We're built on the gospel of Jesus Christ as it's been revealed to us through the pages of his word. So this morning, what we're gonna do is we, again, pause for just a couple of weeks from the Sermon on the Mount, coming back there next week. Uh, this morning, we're gonna look at the example of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, because through their example, we see a clear picture of what it means to be a people of the word. And we need their example because with each passing year, our generation is becoming less and less people of the word. Here's a devastating reality that you and I need to reckon with today. The reality is that today you and I have more access to scripture, greater access to scripture, easier access to scripture to the point that it's almost embarrassing. You and I have greater access to scripture than any generation of Christians that has ever lived. And yet today, the overwhelming majority of Christians barely touch their Bibles on a regular basis. You know, we, we like to hold this banner above our country that we're a Christian nation. And I just wonder, do the statistics really support that? You know, the American Bible Society, uh, they release a survey every single year. And earlier this year, they released their state of the Bible report. And the findings were troubling, to say the very least. The findings of this survey revealed that only 10% of Americans read their Bible on a daily basis. And, and that statistic's troubling enough, but there was one statistic in particular from this report that stuck out to me that troubled me more than the rest as I was reading. In 2021, 50% of Americans at least reported reading the Bible maybe three to four times on an annual basis. So quarterly, seasonally, they would say, hey, at least three, four times a year, I will pick up the Bible and I'll engage the word of God. But from 2021 to 2022, that number has dropped by 11% from 50 down to 39. And that represents a, a, a sampling of 26 million people. 26 million people who over the last year are reporting, hey, even if I just seasonally used to pick up my Bible, I never do it anymore. And, and here's what's even more concerning. That number almost perfectly parallels with those who have disconnected from the church over the last couple of years because of COVID. Now, when you look at statistics from the Hartford Institute, this was 2021, the median church decline over the last two years has been 12%. 
And so I think we can make a, a safe conclusion here that there seems to be a very close connection with our engagement in the scriptures and our gathering together with one another. And so here's what we're gonna see today in Acts chapter 17. This is why we need the example of the Bereans. What Acts 17 shows us is that you and I are called to study and proclaim the scriptures. Pay attention, in community. If you're taking notes in your worship guide this morning or, or you're taking notes in a journal as you go, I really wanna challenge you, circle or underline those two words, in community. We're called to study and to proclaim the scriptures in community. And as it's proclaimed, we carefully test all teaching against the truth of God's word. We are called to be people of the word. We're called to be people of the word. And that's the example that we see from the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. So again, this is the passage we read a few moments ago. I'm gonna read for us again, verses 10 and 11. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Everybody say eagerness. Examining the scriptures daily. Everybody say daily. To see if these things were so. So we're called to be people of the word. And what we see first from verses 10 and 11 this morning is that people of the word accept the word gladly. People of the word gladly accept the preaching of the word. I wanna give us a little bit of context here because we're jumping right into the middle of Acts 17 together this morning. Verses 10 through 15, we see that Paul and Silas had come to Berea from Thessalonica. This was a journey of about 50 miles that would have taken them a few days. And in the verses just prior to the passage we're looking at today, we see a similar uh, scene in Thessalonica as Paul and Silas preach in the synagogues. So if you go back to the beginning of Acts 17, this is what we see in verses two and three. It says, and Paul went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Everyone say from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So this is Paul, this is Silas. They're in the synagogue. They're preaching the message of the gospel. They're showing how the scriptures support the message of the gospel and they deliver the good news of the gospel in a nutshell. They show from the scriptures why it was necessary for Jesus to come and to die for our sins. They show from the scriptures why it was necessary for Jesus to rise from the grave. They show from the scriptures why it's necessary for us to surrender to Jesus, who is the Lord that is worthy of our lives because of what he's accomplished for us in his death and resurrection. They pointed them to the scriptures and they showed them Jesus. And in Thessalonica, they received opposition for their preaching. They faced great opposition. The Jewish audience there was jealous. They were hostile. They were unwelcoming. Their visit ended when many believers there were dragged before the authorities. And these are the two charges that were made against them. If you look at Acts 17, 6, this was the first charge. It said, these men have turned the world upside down. Now it was meant to be an insult. You and I should receive it as a compliment. We should read this as a compliment. Their preaching was turning from their perspective, the world upside down. This is what the preaching of the gospel does. It turns the upside down world right side up in such a way that a sinful lost world sees it as being upside down. 
They meant it to be a criticism. We should read it as a compliment. The second charge in verse seven is that they were proclaiming another king. Jesus was the true Lord and king and not Caesar. So these are the charges that were being made against them. And they faced hostility because of this. It's safe to say the welcome they received in Thessalonica was, un, was less than friendly. We do see that a few at least came to faith in Christ. So that's why when we get to verse 11, it says these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. The term here for noble originally referred to somebody who came from a prominent family or was a, a person of upstanding birth. But the way Luke uses it in Acts 17, it carries this sense of being welcoming and being open being generous, being charitable in their reception of the word, being tolerant and open-minded. It is the opposite of the reception that they were given in Thessalonica. So let's just compare the two. In Thessalonica, they received the word with hostility, but in Berea, they received the word with humility. In Thessalonica, they were enraged when they received the word. In Berea, they were eager to receive the word. In Thessalonica, the word was preached and it started a riot, but in Berea, the word was preached and it started a revival. They were people of the word. And you and I are living in a time where the response to the word looks a lot more like Thessalonica than it does Berea. How does our world react to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ today? They react with hostility. They react with rage. react with an angry uproar. Even among professing Christians, our cultural moment is one where we are often very, very quick to assume the worst. We, we've got this, this cultural dynamic right now where uh, you can make a living being an internet blogger, uh, ripping 30-second clips out of context, pasting them on YouTube, and making an entire career and job out of it. Reading into things that people have said, assuming the worst, not willing to give any benefit of a doubt to brothers and sisters in Christ— you know, I wonder sometimes even how many of us in, in kind of our consumer-driven church culture, we gather together with the assembly of believers, not so much to see Jesus proclaimed from the scriptures, but to hear something we can disagree with just so we can write it off and move on. And, and God calls us to be the opposite. He calls us to be people who receive the word gladly, who hear the word charitably. This is James 1.19. We, we tend to quote James 1.19 and 20, but I want us to see verse 21 as well. 1.19 and 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now we tend to read that verse and stop right there. But verse 21 is really important for understanding what we should do instead. It says, therefore, in light of everything we see, verse 19 and 20, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and watch this, and receive with meekness the implanted word. What is the opposite of being quick to speak? What is the opposite of being quick to anger? It's receiving with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. One of the clearest marks of the true people of God, friends, is that we roll out the welcome wagon for the preaching of God's word. We roll out the welcome wagon. We humbly submit ourselves to the authority of God's word in our lives. One of the true marks of the people of God is that when we come across things in scripture that challenge our beliefs and our behaviors, we don't make changes to the Bible. We make changes to ourselves. We make changes in our lives. And this devout group of worshipers in Berea was seriously devoted to the scriptures. They welcomed the preaching of the word and they gladly received the truth of the gospel. We also see from verse 11 that people of the word receive the word eagerly. 
people of the word accept the word gladly and we receive the word eagerly. We see at the middle of verse 11, it says they received the word with all eagerness. These people love the word. They cherish the word. They desire the word above everything else. And we see other examples of this throughout the New Testament. In Acts 17, as Paul and Barnabas ministered in Pisidian Antioch, they faithfully labored to show people how Christ had come to fulfill the scriptures. This is Acts 13, 42. It says, as they went out, the people begged. I love this picture. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And look at this picture that's painted for us in verse 44. It says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Don't you love that? Don't you long to see that happen in Beaufort, South Carolina? You know, a couple weeks ago, I was driving uh, to, to church uh, here to the Y Sunday morning, um, and my oldest son, Gideon, was riding in the truck with me. And um, we take basically the same route to worship on Sundays that we take to school throughout the course of the week. Our office is right across the street from, from his school. And so um, I was going by our office first to print out a couple of things before I came here. And as we're driving along Bay Street, I mean, it's about 7.30, 7.45 in the morning. It's, it's just very, very quiet. And Gideon's looking out the window and he says, the streets are never busy on Sunday mornings. He said, the roads always seem so quiet on Sunday mornings. And as he said that, my heart, my mind went to Acts 13. And I just kind of prayed silently to myself. I said, Lord, I, I long for a day when the streets are busy on Sunday mornings because people are eager to gather together for the hearing of the word. I, I am longing for the day in Beaufort, South Carolina, where the parking lots of our churches are busier than the boat ramps and the beaches on Sunday morning. I'm longing for the day when we are as eager to gather together for the preaching of the word as we are to catch the next fish. I'm longing for this. I'm longing in my generation for a day when we are as eager to receive the word as we are to watch the next episode or listen to the next podcast or attend the next game. I'm longing for these things. How can you know that you're a true follower of Christ? You naturally desire the word above all else. It's what you want. It's what you desire. You're eager to receive it. It's an innate default desire. We're eager to hear it and we're begging to hear it proclaimed again. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 2. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Watch this. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. How can you tell that you have tasted that the Lord is good? You long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. You long for the pure spiritual milk of the word and you're not willing to settle for less. Um, my niece, uh, I've got a six-year-old niece named Marley. It's my sister's daughter. And uh, I have four nieces. As far as I'm concerned, they're all perfect. They're precious. Um, they're incapable of doing wrong. I've got three boys in my house and I feel like I'm always just butting heads with them. And I, I really believe this is why the Lord didn't give me a little girl because that would just be the end of me. And uh, the answer is always yes when they're around. So they're, they're staying at our house a couple of weeks ago. And um, Marley, what she wants more than anything, right when she wakes up each morning is she wants a cup of milk. And so uh, both mornings she comes down the stairs. And you know, when my boys come downstairs asking things in the morning, I'm like, bro, get a, get a job, man. You know, like, 
do stuff for yourself. You're, you'll figure it out. Like you're five years old. Why, why aren't you employed yet? You know, like, like that's, that's kind of my approach with, with boys. But, but man, my niece is there. I'm like, uh, yes, ma'am, absolutely. Like what, what kind of milk do you want? Do you want regular milk? Do you want chocolate milk? Can, can I give you some money? You know, like, I mean, that's just, that's kind of how I'm default wired. And so she wakes up in the morning. The first thing she wants is her milk. And uh, my sister shared this story last week where um, this past week in the morning, she gave Marley some organic milk instead of regular milk. And, um, and so Marley like takes her first sip of milk and she goes, mama, my milk tastes funny. She said, it tastes like it's plain or something. And my sister tells her, well, it's organic milk. And this is Marley's response to my sister. She goes, why would you do that to me? <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, I'm like, Brittany, for real, why would you do that to her? Like, I don't know about you, but we, we do red cap only in my house. Like I need, I need the whole milk. I need the real stuff. And, and, and that, that was just her knee jerk. Like she immediately understood. She immediately recognized six years old. Th- this is not what I'm accustomed to. Th- this is not what I desire. Sh- she desired her milk. And, and sadly, like this is the picture that we see in so many of our churches today that instead of giving the pure spiritual milk of the word, we've replaced it with cheap substitutes. Gosh, we've seen it over the last several years. Some have substituted the gospel with partisan politics. I mean, you could like watch CNN, Fox News during the week and not even know the difference on Sunday morning. It's to our shame. Some have substituted the preaching of the gospel for modern therapeutic moralism. Some have substituted it for superficial entertainment. Some have substituted the true preaching of the gospel for for nothing more for being honest than hyped up emotionalism that hits us in all the feels. And when it happens, our reaction should be the exact same as Marley. When someone substitutes the preaching of the gospel for something superficial or artificial, our knee-jerk response as followers of Jesus should be, why would you do that to me? Why would you do that to me? I love this reflection from Tony Morita in his commentary on the book of Acts and the example of the church in Berea. He says, oh, that churches would be filled with people longing for more biblical food than for Sunday morning cotton candy entertainment, funny stories, and pithy anecdotes. May God grant us a Berean appetite for the scriptures. People of the word will accept it gladly. People of the word will receive the word eagerly. We see third from verse 11, that people of the word examine the word daily. People of the word examine the word daily. It says in the last part of verse 11, they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We saw this last week too, as we looked at Acts chapter two, we saw the believers, they were gathering together in the temple, in their homes day by day. And as they were gathering together day by day, the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Now I want us to pause here for just a second. And I wonder how many of you have maybe experienced this before. My home church where I grew up in, and a lot of churches uh, do have this depending on your background. My home church had a Bible study group that was known as the Berean Bible Study. Did anybody else have this dynamic in your church? Yeah, I see a few hands across the room. Uh, I think this is kind of a traditional Baptist thing. And, and so, um, so we had a Berean Bible Study. And so what, when I hear about the example of the Bereans in Acts 17, this is where my mind goes. It goes to that group of brothers and sisters in their Sunday school room. They've all got their Bibles open uh, in a circle. And what are they doing? They're going verse by verse through the word of God. They're searching the scriptures together. And that's what's in my mind when I think of the example of the Bereans. But to, to put ourselves in Acts 17 here for a second, I think we have to remember a couple things. This was all pre-printing press. 
Like this was way before the normal person just had multiple copies of the Bible on their own. Unless you were the wealthiest of the wealthy, for most communities, the, the whole Bible, it was limited to what was right there in the synagogue. So very unlikely that this is a group of people, you know, that have uh, open Bibles sitting in a circle and, and, and having conversation as they go line by line. More likely, they've got all of the parchments, all the scrolls, they've got them laid out on a table, and what are they doing? Paul is preaching the gospel. He is showing them from the scriptures that Jesus had come, that it was necessary for him to die, that it was necessary for him to be risen from the grave, that he was the Lord of their lives that they should surrender themselves to because of what he accomplished for them and his life, death, and resurrection. And they're searching the scripture in the same place to see if these things were so. In spite of the limited access to scripture, one of the clearest marks of the early church is that they studied the word together in community. And this is what this should show for us today. You and I were not designed to do this in isolation. We do theology together in community. We search the scriptures together in community. Yes and amen. I hope and I pray that you are daily on your own, reading the Bible, searching the scriptures, studying the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures day and night as Psalm 1 shows us. But what we see is this clear mark of the early church is they gathered together in community. We need this. We need to hear the testimonies of others as they read the word. We need the encouragement of others when we're frustrated in our reading of the word. We need the accountability of brothers and sisters in Christ when we fall away from reading the word. The community of the local church is the greenhouse where our confidence in the scriptures grows. And it's becoming clearer and clearer with every single day, particularly as it's being evidenced in what's becoming known as uh, the deconstruction, deconversion type movement. Th this is what we've seen, I mean, just magnified the last two years. This is Satan's play today. This is what he wants more than anything else. Satan wants you isolated from the body of believers, isolated from the scriptures, listening to the testimonies of those who have rejected the Bible and walked away from the faith. That's what he wants. He wants you by yourself. He wants you disconnected from the body, that there's an inextricable link between our engagement with the scriptures and our interactions with one another. But understand, being people of the word, it's not just about accountability for ourselves. It's also about accountability for those who lead. This is the, what I love here about Acts 17 is even the apostle Paul did not get a pass in this. I mean, this is the Paul who's written the majority of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, who is responsible for more people hearing the gospel than any person outside of Jesus in human history. The Apostle Paul, even Paul didn't get a pass on this. It's, he's showing them from the scriptures and they're still going to the scriptures to verify and to validate everything that Paul has to say. And this is what I love about the Bereans. It was not a blind faith. They didn't take Paul at his word just because he was Paul. They would listen to what he said and then they would search the scriptures to verify and validate the claims that he made. And this is exactly what we should be doing today. You know, a couple years ago, this is why we made this shift as a church that our community groups went to being sermon-based discussion. And the simple reason for that is because that's the biblical model from Acts 17 is the apostles would preach, they would teach, and then day by day, what would the Bereans do? They would search the scriptures to see if these things were so. That's an added layer of accountability that we intentionally added for everybody who preaches and teaches God's word at Cross Community Church. 
Guys, you, you think it doesn't keep me on my toes in a given week? I mean, you talk to, to me, talk to Dustin, talk to Dave or Alex or anybody else who preaches here. You think it doesn't keep us on our toes knowing a few hundred people are gonna go talk about it all week long? Like it, it definitely does. Making sure that we're, we're paying meticulous attention to what we're saying and, and how we're saying it. Can we anchor these things in what God has spoken by his word? And here's a big reason why we think that's so important. What we see over and over again throughout the New Testament church is that God's judgment is not just coming on false teachers. God's judgment is also coming to the congregations that tolerate them. We are, every single one of us, responsible for the purity of the teaching of the word. Paul lays it out like this to the church in Galatia. He, he tells them, he says, listen, if I or an angel from heaven come preaching a different gospel, that person is to be accursed. Nobody gets a pass in this. And I want to stress this because I know a lot of us, you grew up in a church background where the mentality was you, you never question the pastor. You don't question anything he says. That, that's, that's God's man. If he speaks it, you better not push against it. If you do push against it, you're going to be labeled as, as divisive. You're going to be labeled as unsubmissive. You're going to be cut off from the community of, of believers. And so listen, I, I'm not asking you today to take my word for it. I'm asking you to take God's word for it. I'm a fallible human being. I never want to intentionally lead us into error, but the reality is I'm capable of doing it. Every single pastor, every single teacher, every single leader is capable of leading people into error. We're not the Pope. We don't speak ex cathedra. And by the way, neither does the Pope. He makes mistakes all the time. None of us are, are infallible. We're all capable of erring, and it's the congregation's collective responsibility to make sure we are keeping things anchored to Scripture. We want to preach and teach the Bible in such a way here. If we do it right, we want to preach and teach the Bible in such a way that if you're going to disagree with something, it's not so much with what we have to say as much as what the Word of God has to say. We, we want the things we say to be so anchored, so tethered to the scriptures that ultimately our disagreement is not with one another, our disagreement with me, with, with what God has spoken in his word. The first devotional book I was ever given was a little book called At the, At the Master's Feet by Charles Spurgeon. And uh, I was 17, I was a high school senior when it was given it to me. And I remember this, this is from the first devotional of that day on, on page one. It said, if the Bible were but read and prayed over, Many errors would die a speedy death and others would be sorely crippled. Had that inspired book been read in the past, many errors never have, would never have arisen. Search you then the book of God, I pray you, and whatever you find there, be sure to attend thereto. At all costs, keep to the word of God. So I would challenge you almost every single week, carry a Bible with you, bring it with you. If you don't have one, take one before you go today, bring it with you, search the scriptures, take notes, write these things down, keep us in check. Don't take our word for it, take God's word for it. It's not that we want to be needlessly critical because people of the word charitably receive the word, but we need to recognize that every person is fallible, which is why we examine and test everything against the word of God. Back to uh, Acts 17, I want to read for us verses 12 through 15. This is the rest of the passage. It says, Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. 
So fourth, finally this morning, we see that people of the word proclaim the word continually. People of the word proclaim the word continually. It's such a powerful testimony to the power of the gospel that we see in these verses. Verses 12 through 15, we see the gospel breaking down all of these barriers. It's breaking down barriers between men and women. It's breaking down barriers between Jews and Gentiles. It's breaking down barriers between the rich and the poor. All hear the gospel and people from all of these different backgrounds hear the same gospel and believe. And so there's two realities that we see from verses 12 through 15 that we need to pay attention to for our own sharing of the gospel. We see as we proclaim the gospel that some will receive the word. This is verse 12. It says, verse 12 says, not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And here's why it's so important for us to know that they were women of high standing, very successful businesswomen. You know, if you go to Matthew 19, Jesus warns his disciples that it's very, very difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And the reason for this is the sad reality is the more you and I have, the more we attain and get for ourselves, the more self-sufficient we tend to become. Now, I don't know about you, but this tends to be a prevailing mentality that I encounter really, really frequently in Beaufort, South Carolina. It's, it's not really like a hostile opposition to the gospel. It's not like an angry opposition to the gospel, but very much an indifference. He talked about, to, to people about Jesus, about their need for Jesus Christ, about their need for salvation. And sometimes here's the response I encounter. It's basically like, look, I, I've, I've got a great job. I've had a successful career. I, I've got a, a comfortable income on an annual basis. I've got good kids. I've got successful kids. I've got the house. I've got the truck. I've got the boat. I've got a, a fat 401k. I live in one of literally the best places to live in America. Amen. Say all that. And so the mentality is basically like, so, so tell me again why I need Jesus. Because from my perspective, it looks like I've got everything I need. In many ways, it is more difficult to lead a, a, a wealthy, successful, self-sufficient person to faith in Jesus Christ because you have, first have to convince them that there's something that they need. And this is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel, as we see in verse 12, the gospel doesn't just free us from our sin. Friends, the gospel frees us from ourselves. And if there's a great need in our nation today, if there's one major obstacle in our nation today, it is absolutely the obstacle of self. As a culture, we, we are self-obsessed, we are self-interested, we are self-absorbed, and yet the call to follow Jesus Christ is one of self-denial. This is how Jesus invites people to follow him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And as difficult as that message can be, what we see from Acts 17 is that if we will simply be faithful to proclaim that message as it has been given to us by Jesus Christ, we will see those walls of self-sufficiency come crashing to the ground and we will instead see God dependence rise up in its place. We can trust the word of God to do the work of God. This is only what's going to penetrate the hearts of self-sufficient people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can trust that as we continually proclaim the word, some will humbly receive the word. But we also need to be aware from verses 13 through 15 that even as some will receive the word, some will also reject the word. Some will receive the word, some will reject the word. They even rejected the apostle Paul. You know, just when it looks like Paul and Silas are in the clear, here, here come these clowns from Thessalonica again, right? These guys are like the original internet trolls. They traveled 50 miles just to troll Paul and Silas. 
like traveled three days just to agitate, just to cause problems, just to cause issues, just to prevent the gospel from moving forward. So Paul moves to Athens and later we learn that there the Lord would open up doors for the ministry of the gospel. But here's an important note for us. But in spite of the opposition, Silas and Timothy remained. They, they temporarily remained and they continued to drive forward the ministry of the word in spite of the opposition that they face. So here's what their example means for us today. Fr friends, if you faithfully tether your life to the word of God in the year of our Lord 2022 in the United States of America, it is absolutely guaranteed you're going to face opposition. I, I would argue this, if you're not facing some level of opposition from your faith, you're probably not following Jesus. I mean, if we, we tether our lives to his word, build our lives on the foundation of this word through the way we live, through the things that we say, through the way we conduct, conduct our lives, we are absolutely going to receive opposition from the world. Jesus promised that we would. We're going to face opposition for these things, but our calling as believers, especially in the moment that we are in right now, is to continue being faithful to proclaim the word. The most radical thing we can do, I said this last Sunday, the most radical thing you and I can commit to doing in our current cultural moment is to do what we're doing right now. It's to build our lives on the foundation of the word of God and trust that it's gonna be sufficient, not just for building our lives, but for sustaining the church. So, you know, this fall marks a major season of transition for our church family, especially as we uh, prepare to transition a permanent facility. And, and listen, this is something we don't even pretend to hold back our excitement about this. We're thrilled about this. Uh, six years of, of moving chairs around and setting up and breaking down. And like we had to do last week, meeting in a different place every once in a while, uh, we're kind of past that chaos, okay? And, and, and so we're, we are so, so eager to, to just put those roots down and to have that permanence um, as a church family. And frankly, it's generated a good bit of buzz in our community. Man, it's so encouraging. I, I go to grocery stores or, or just, you know, downtown on the waterfront area. And almost everywhere I go, somebody just stops and says, hey, we are so excited for you guys. We're praying for you. Just want to encourage us in the work that we're doing. And so we, we have a ton of excitement about this, and I think rightly so. But this morning, I want to call just a brief time out on all of this excitement. Because if we're not careful, our hearts are going to get taken to the wrong place over the next five, six months. And if we could just renew commitments that, that were made, it started with, with me between the Lord and it's, it's grown to into this community of faith over the last several years, if we could just renew this commitment, that this is my desire for us as we go into the fall. I don't want Cross Community Church primarily to be known as the people with a building. I want us to be known as a people of the book. Let me say that one more time. I don't want the buzz about our church family to be that we're getting a facility. I want the buzz of our church family to be that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and that this congregation is being built on the foundation of his word. I wanna challenge us to be people of the word. So in light of what we've seen in Acts 17 this morning and out of that desire, I wanna give us five challenges for the fall of being people of the word as we move into this final season of being a portable congregation. I wanna give us five challenges of making sure we are focused on being primarily above all else, people of the word. Um, if you're new with us, if you're our guest, our mission statement as a church is really simple. It says that we exist to preach the gospel and make disciples. And the way that we live that out, the way we flesh that out is in a four-part strategy. Uh, we gather, we grow, we give, and we go. 
That's the example that we set for, see for us in Acts chapter two that we looked at last week. And so that's simply what we wanna be. Those are the things that we do because those are the things that we see the early church doing as we read and study together God's word. And so I wanna give us these five challenges. I wanna frame them in our language uh, that we embrace as a church of gather, grow, give, and go. Um, so first challenge for us of being people of the word in this coming fall, the first challenge is simply to gather by committing to receiving the word in corporate worship. The gather challenge is to commit to receiving the word in corporate worship. It's to do what we're doing right now and to make it a non-negotiable priority in our lives. It is absolutely no secret over the last couple of decades that the church attendance in our nation just continues, continues, continues to decline. We looked at this briefly last week. The biblical mandate for the gathering of the church is that we do it all the more as we see the day of the Lord drawing near, but our cultural trend right now is to do it all the less. And we have built this foundation for six years. I wanna renew it again this morning. We unapologetically believe as a church on the authority of the word of God that gathering together for corporate worship should be an absolute non-negotiable priority on your family's calendar. This is what the people of God do. The biblical mandate is that we do it all the more. The cultural trend is to do it all the less. If we're gonna be people of the word, it's gonna require commitment to gathering to form ourselves, have ourselves formed under the preaching of the word. Second challenge, two challenges under grow. Uh, the first challenge is just to commit to reading the Bible on a daily basis. Uh, I'm just curious, how many of you have been walking through the Bible reading plan this year that we started as a church family back in January? Okay, if you're our guest, you'll see that on the inside cover of your worship guide this morning. Um, we've been reading through the Bible together uh, uh, all throughout the course of this year. Um, and, and listen, to, I, I know there's some purists in the room that you're like, man, I've, I've kind of missed that. Um, believe it or not, you don't have to wait until January to start reading the Bible. Um, you, you could actually go ahead and, and start today, but I get it. Like if you wouldn't want to just jump right in on the Bible reading plan that we're doing since we're about uh, almost three quarters of the way through now, what we've put at the next steps table this morning is a 90 day Bible reading plan that would take you through the entire New Testament before the end of the year. And that's my challenge is if, man, if you're continuing in our daily Bible reading plan, praise God, let's do that. You're entering into the last quarter of this year, Let's continue. If you've fallen behind, uh, don't get down on yourself about that. Just pick up where you left off. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. And so I just wanna encourage you, pick up your Bible, start reading where you left off or start a new reading plan as you go this morning. The second challenge would be to commit to a community group or Bible study. Acts 17 shows us this so clearly. We study the word together in community. We have modeled these community groups off of the example of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. We're not intended to do this in isolation. So we have dozens of community groups that are sermon-based discussion. We also have men's and women's Bible studies um, that are more topic-oriented. I believe God's word doesn't just suggest, but mandates that we as, body, as a body of believers be beyond even our gathering here, be daily searching the scriptures together with one another. At a bare minimum this morning, use that Next Steps card, check community group, let us follow up with you this week, or stop at the Next Steps table as you go this morning. Third challenge is that we give. We commit to supporting the ministry of the word. This is really, really subtle in verse 15 from Acts 17, but we know that Paul had help getting from Berea to Athens. This was a journey of almost 200 miles. That would have been an expensive journey, would have required a lot of resources. The preaching of the gospel has always been accompanied by the open-handed, kingdom-minded generosity of the people of God. 
I, I just praise God continually for how faithfully generous our, our church family has been uh, really since we, we've started and how faithfully you continue to be. And so I just want to challenge us. Let's continue to be generous not just with our financial gifts, but with the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given us, serving to build up the body of Christ, being financially generous to drive forward uh, the ministry of the word here locally and domestically and abroad uh, as we strive to advance the message of the gospel. And the final challenge undergo is that we be people who commit to share the gospel with a family member or friend. I wanna come back to where we were just a few moments ago, and we're gonna sign off with this this morning. Just a few moments ago, we saw that even the Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul had people who rejected his message when he preached. And here's why I want to emphasize that. I fear that some of us are, are, have embraced this mentality that if we share the gospel with someone, if we share the good news of Jesus with someone and they reject it, they tell us no. I fear some of us have embraced a mindset that if they tell us no, it means that we have failed. But this isn't the case. We do not at all control who responds to the gospel and who doesn't. Jesus shows us this in the parable of the sower. It's not our responsibility to determine where the seed should go. It's just our responsibility to cast it out as as generously as we possibly can and to trust that the word of God is going to do its work. It is not our job to arbitrarily decide who we think is going to receive it and who we think is going to reject it and then determine based on that decision whether or not we should share the gospel with someone. You have not failed if you share the gospel and someone tells you no. The word of God is always doing its work. Jesus tells us of the word in John 10 that his sheep know his voice and they answer him when he calls. We see from Hebrews 4 that the word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. We see from Isaiah chapter 55 that the word of God never returns to him void. It always accomplishes its purpose, either to bring people to salvation or to confirm their judgment. But there will be none who stand before God saying, I did not know. You have not failed if you share the gospel and someone says no. The only failure in sharing the gospel is the failure to share the gospel. We can trust that the word of God is going to accomplish its work. So church, in our gathering, in our growing, in our giving, in our going, let's renew this morning our commitment to be people of the word. Let's strive by God's grace to be people of the word. Let's be a congregation that gladly accepts the word. Let's be a congregation that eagerly receives the word. Let's be a congregation that daily is searching the word. And let's be a congregation that's faithfully proclaiming the word. We will commit to the work of the Lord and we trust that the word of the Lord will accomplish its work. And so by God's grace, it's my hope, it's my prayer this morning that we would continue to see this congregation built on the foundation of the word of God. Will you bow your heads with me as we close our time in prayer? In just a moment, we're gonna come to the table for communion and The beautiful thing about the Lord's Supper is that it is uh, a meal for sinners, which is all of us. But more specifically, Scripture shows us that it is a meal for repenting sinners. That if we were to come to the table without repentance, that would be to trivialize the cross. That would be to trivialize the sacrifice of Jesus and to trivialize sin. So we don't want to do that. 
And so in light of what we've seen in Acts 17 this morning, I just ask you as you invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to search your mind, as you examine your life, have you been building your life on the foundation of anything other than the word of God? In what subtle ways even have we allowed our thoughts and our ideas and our opinions of the church be based on what we want, our wants, our desires, rather than the sufficiency of the word of God? What are some ways you have invited a cheap substitute into your life? And so just ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, to illuminate your heart. What words, what actions, what thoughts, what desires, what motives, what affections, what beliefs, what behaviors, what is in you that is not of Christ, that lacks the foundation of his word, that's untethered from his word? Let's take just a few moments here to confess that before the Lord, to ask him for a heart of genuine repentance that we would turn from these things. As we sang earlier, let's, let's thank him for the cross. Let's thank him for the atoning work of Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God, brought back to him in right relationship. Let's thank him for the church. Let's thank him for the community of believers. Let's thank him for his word. And declare today that it's sufficient to build our lives upon and to see this church built upon. So Father, will you make us people of your word? Give us new hunger. Give us new thirst. Give us a new appetite for your word. Father, help us to see the things that we have allowed into our lives that are suppressing your word, that are distracting us from your word. Give us a new heart, give us new zeal, give us new desire to be people who eagerly come to your word because we're eager to see your son, Jesus. We're eager to hear once again of the salvation that we have found in him. We are eager to see how we can be made more like him and how we can be effectively equipped to show him to a world that desperately needs him. So fathers, we come to this table this morning, we come in need of your grace and thanking you for your grace. We come to you this morning confessing, repenting, but rejoicing in the victory of your son, Jesus Christ. So as we respond to you today, Father, as we sing, as we confess, as we repent, as we pray, May the sacrifices of your people in this place be a sweet fragrance and aroma to you. We give ourselves to you today, Father, as an act of worship before a holy God and ask that you receive glory in all things. We ask all of these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen, amen.